This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Maladoma Patrice Somay. Maladoma is a West African elder, author, and teacher from the Dagara tribe in Burkina Faso, West Africa. He has come to the West to share the ancient wisdom and practices which have supported his people for thousands of years. He holds three master's degrees and two doctorates from the Sorbonne and Brandeis University, and he's taught at the University of Michigan. He currently devotes himself to speaking and conducting intensive workshops throughout the United States. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Maladome and I spoke about how to heal and resolve any issues or gripes that one may have with a specific relative or ancestor. We also talked about rituals one can use to open a line of communication with the ancestors, and how our life expression itself can be a tribute to what the ancestors have given us. Finally, we talked about what are some of the most important teachings that Westerners can learn from the Dagara culture, and what the Dagara tribe could actually learn from Westerners. Here's my conversation with someone that I call a wild card because you never know what to expect. Maladoma Somme. Maladoma, I want to talk to you today about working with the ancestors. And just to begin, to ask you to tell our listeners a little bit when you hear this word ancestors, what does that mean to you? Who are we referring to when in your context, your cultural context, the Dagara tribe, you hear people talk about working with the ancestors? That's a very good question. Uh, in fact, the the word is uh, uh, a lot broader than I have uh, heard it here, at least in terms of the reference. In Dagara culture, when... Um, uh, you hear that someone uh, is dealing with the ancestors. They're basically talking about the ancestors of the village, of the tribe, of the culture. Hmm. Uh, there's already an umbrella under which all ancestors are the same for everybody. But then... As you as you go further from this broad perception, as if you are thinking about ancestors, like another parallel village to the village that the person belonged to, you look at it, and then inside you will find that uh, 
there are also families. And so from the general perception of ancestors being connected to culture, to the village, then there's the, the narrower vision of the ancestor being uh, part of the parallel family, the other, the other family who uh, are connected to the person or persons uh, by blood uh, and, and, and that type of connection. So it seems like uh, at first, when you hear the word ancestors, you got to think in terms of cultural ancestors, uh, uh, tribal ancestors. But then when it comes to uh, personal business, ancestors start with the family member who have crossed and apparently they they know the rest of the ancestors any person who need to address the ancestors in my village begins with the most recent uh, dead uh, asking that person or that ancestors to pass on the word to everyone else it is as if there's a kind of pre-existing hierarchy in the uh, ancestral realm whereby uh, the newcomers are the younger uh, who are at the gate between this dimension and their dimension to uh, pick up whatever message is needed and pass it on to everyone else. And so uh, in this, in this uh, situation, uh, a person addressing ancestors begin with his or her own ancestors. And by own ancestors, I mean the biological one who have uh, uh, recently crossed or who have crossed long, long time ago. They are still present. Now, let's say somebody had a troubled relationship with their most recently deceased blood relative. Wasn't a good relationship, mm. troubled relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. Now what happens, this is a, you know, a spirit on the other side. Well, how does that go? I mean, do I just immediately, yep. uh, you know, respect this ancestor, even though when they were, no. you know? Uh, this is a very interesting question because of, of you know, the kind of ancestry that I've been, uh, I've been talking about really relate to culture, very familiar with how tribal life is structured because they've lived in it, they've, they've aligned themselves in it. And so there's no concept of, quote-unquote, bad ancestors. And so in, in a culture like the Western culture, where, of course, someone uh, might have some serious issues with ancestors. Uh, the situation is that this feeling is more or less like toxic to keep it uh, boxed in. At least of all the people, they have a reason to engage their ancestors. If anything, to tell these ancestors how they feel about the legacy that they have left behind, about the kind of deed in their name while they still have the, 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 the blessing of a physical body 
And now having crossed to the other side, the mess that they leave behind or the kind of bitter feeling that they leave uh, behind is something that has to be communicated. Uh, see, in, uh, uh, in the indigenous Dagara culture, what happened is that it is the opposite. It's the ancestors who are angry at the fact that uh, those uh, they've left behind are leaving or cutting off the link. Uh, they are acting in a way that uh, disrupt the continuity. And so the ancestors are mad at them for, for that. In this culture, however, it seems like it's the opposite. People who feel terribly at odds when they look at their own ancestors simply because of the horror stories that they're reminded of. So in this case, uh, it is a good idea to learn to be explicit about feeling. Uh, say, saying it like it is to the ancestors is, is believed to be a, a major healing occasion because on the other side of this divide, uh, people don't take things as personally as we do on this side. In fact, telling the truth is indeed uh, a reflection of a, of a kind of authenticity, a desire to, uh, to make things right, compelling the other world, the world of the ancestors, to find ways to cooperate with the, the, the person so that life down the road can be healthier and can be more dynamic. So something like this is uh, uh, the, 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 kind of, the kind of situation that I look at as a privileged situation. At least those people have a tooth against ancestors, and it is not bad at all. It is something that shows that there is a subject matter worth taking to the attention, uh, making it look like uh, they, they have to take responsibility from where they are now that they have better ways and means in order to correct a situation that they have created and left rotting behind them. So uh, more than even the, uh, the, the indigenous Dagara people, I think that people in this culture have a, a good, a better reason to, uh, to address ancestors. You know. Let's just get specific. Let's say somebody's listening and they're thinking mm -hmm. of a deceased relative of theirs mm -hmm. that they have a legitimate gripe with of some kind. You know they're really yeah. they're upset with this deceased relative for one reason or another. Yes. How would you suggest it would be effective to work that out with the deceased ancestor? In fact, there are different ways. Uh, the easy uh, uh, the easy ways are a lot more a lot more challenging because they demand knowing how to set the condition that is to say creation of a personal uh, uh, 
sacred space, which means an altar to the ancestors, and the capacity to uh, uh, to inject it with a kind of atmosphere conducive to uh, a lot of sharing, to a lot of uh, emoting. The easier one is more in community. It works better in a group context. Ancestors ritual that starts with uh, everyone gathered on the subject of engaging the ancestors about these issues that they're having a, uh, a serious, a serious time dealing with. They can support each other, uh, making the whole thing a lot more easier to come out. Uh, the, the type of community ritual uh, include the creation of a sacred shrine, a fire that is blazing, and then the individual are asked to bundle up their issues with the ancestors and bring them first to the altar uh, or sacred space or shrine, and then taking this bundle and putting them into the fire where it is expected that the ancestors are waiting to take them, to take all these issues. So at first, of course, the bundling just uh, is as simple as gathering combustible item and assigning each one of them an issue that is really burning inside of the self in association with the ancestors. Uh, but what I was thinking about is uh, also the capacity to sit in group and uh, begin helping each other to share the those issues so that they become... Uh, a kind of collective pool, a pooling of issues that later on can be therefore brought to the attention of the ancestors, making it possible for them to be to feel more uh, relieved, having released these uh, issues into the hands of the ancestors and spoken about those issues, not in a kind of uh, a censored way, but in a very elaborate fashion. I mean, when you're really pissed off, uh, you know, your vocabulary is not necessarily well, well thought of. Mm-hmm. You just you just come out flaming yeah. if you have to, if that's the way you feel like. And so to be able to get that kind of feeling out, bundled up in a physical form, and then later on to take that to the fire, there is at least a a bigger chance of a catharsis, the nature of which can lighten up the heart and the soul of the people who have gathered to do something like this. Uh, However uh, well choreographed, uh, seemingly complicated it is, actually it is the most promising one of these two. Because the, when you do have uh, some issue, you're angry at the ancestor, you're disappointed about them because of one thing or another, 
and you have to to create your own shrine and do this thing all by yourself. It is too private. Community is not emphasized at that time, and uh, your own self, uh, isolated as you are, may find yourself censoring yourself and be known to yourself, and in the end, uh, you might uh, achieve limited results. And this is why, in community, uh, there's a greater chance of uh, letting go or letting out much more than uh, isolated and in private. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because in the end, you know, these issues may not be as isolated as they appear. Mm -hmm. You may have some personal issues with your ancestor, but in the context of a community, when you start sharing those uh, issues, you may find out that, whoa, there are more than one other person who's got those same issues with with their ancestors. And so together, you can uh, make a much more poignant uh, effect uh, than if you were doing that all by yourself. And this is why I've always loved to to address the issue of the ancestors, because this is the first step toward a kind of relationship in which things that work are working because those ancestors have taken uh, have taken the message seriously enough to be involved in the lives of those who uttered these uh, these words and the result can be visible uh, the visibility of it could be just an inner sense of peace that translate into uh, a l- a better, more positive vision of the world around us. Uh, It seems as if uh, the same tension that bad relationship with ancestors produce inside of us is also present in the ancestors. Maybe that's the reason why they say, as above, so below. While we uh, we find ourselves tormented by some legacy we didn't sign up for, mm-hmm. it might just be that what we feel is felt tenfold down below in the realm of the ancestors. Uh, maybe it's their bad feeling that is kind of uh, leaking from there into our consciousness, making us realize... Uh, how uh, uh, how ugly things are on a daily basis. It will make sense, therefore, not to see this kind of feeling as just an isolated personal thing that addresses itself to your relationship with your ancestors, but to see perhaps that uh, this is this is the result of a a more generalized issue that is contributing to a deeper and deeper disconnection from the ancestors. Of course, anything that uh, we are justified, anything we can come up with reason not to do, such as relating to our ancestors, would tend to uh, to feel entitled to it. You know, why why speak to somebody I don't like? 
more often than not, in the context of you know the individualism in in this culture, uh, it is better to just uh, avoid crossing paths with such a person. But in the end, uh, 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 on the issue of the ancestor, we cannot avoid crossing paths with them. It's like um, that which we're trying to run away from is running with us. And so, therefore, it makes uh, it makes more sense to uh, uh, to just turn around and face it like it is, saying it in the most I don't know despicable term we can come up with, in order to better reflect the feeling that we have inside. Uh, and the closer we are to the truth of our feeling, the greater the healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Maladoma. Um impressed and moved by the fact that you talked about the world of the ancestors within the Dagara tribe context as being a parallel world, like there's a second world occurring, this ancestral world. And I think for a lot of people in the West, this is a very foreign idea. There's an ancestral world along with our human incarnated world. So tell me how you have confidence that this is a fact that there's this second world, the world the ancestors live in. Oh my God! Uh, I don't even know where to start with this. The issue uh, is so ingrained in the culture, in the Dagara culture, that uh, it comes with no second thoughts, no second guess as to the truth of it. The fact is that. Uh, Really, uh, uh, the uh, this parallel world that, uh, uh, and I use the term parallel because it looks like it is, uh, this world that we call the world of ancestors uh, is accessible uh, through either various gateways or through various uh, uh, testing. Uh, but first, the gateway. Uh, I am. Uh, I, I've lived long enough to be able to uh, uh, to testify for the for the existence in Dagra land of uh, of the realm of the ancestors. This world of the ancestors, because when back in two thousand two, my mother died, I I had to go. To the realm of the ancestors in order to find out why because she had died rather prematurely and suddenly and something was wrong about that something was wrong about that it, it felt clearly to me like it was there were foul play hmm. and so I, I my investigation led me to the persons that uh, had the ability to guide others to the realm of the ancestors. Of course, there's, there's, a, there's a strict set of rules to follow uh, if you want to come back from there. But uh, to make a long story short, uh, I was taken across the big river into what looked like the the other shore but i really never did reach the other sh- the other shore when 
I was about to get there, another world opened itself. How did it happen? It happened looking like, um, I don't know, uh, one of those uh, quantum singularities. Uh, Not a bright light, but more like a black door, which I entered. And on the other side was a world not not unlike this. Pretty much similar, except that uh, there were some kind of feeling that this is this is there's something odd about it. So, the issue about a parallel world became really clear to me. That uh, why is it that I had to cross a river, not really cross, but almost cross a river to get to a world that is complete with everything that we have on this side, except that something that cannot be quite described is there. Uh, Notice here, I'm not talking about anything heavenly, uh, like in the Christian tradition, whereby everything would look like this is a better world. I'm talking about a world like this. Uh, but which is uh, which has its own specialty in the sense that uh, the people there uh, are oh boy when they go to when when the night come and they go to sleep they are not uh, they are not sleeping the way we we sleep here in fact. In terms of the daily interaction, uh, and that's what I was describing as odd, nothing is quite like here. So this is the literal witnessing of the fabric of the ancestral other world. Now, the uh, uh, the, the the fact of the matter is that. Uh, w- it is not, and I don't assume that it will be exactly like this anywhere in the world. What I know is that whenever uh, there is a clear challenge directed at the ancestors, something happened that is clearly uh, uh, interpretable as a response coming from them. Furthermore, people's ability to see in their sleep time uh, dead people, their ancestors, in human form, interacting with them, provide a clue of the way in which the ancestors' world is continuing to be active in the lives of their people in this dimension. So, drawing from that, I can only say this, that a person who, at one time or another, was able, in their sleep, to see themselves interacting with someone 
who is well known in this world as having been dead, is most likely uh, most likely has been hailed and pulled into uh, into awareness of the presence of that ancestors in their lives. So this should be a, a very simple but direct clue as to our inseparable relationship with ancestors. Of course, I don't know about those who have never dreamed about anybody who is dead. Uh, uh, that might be uh, that might be part of a, of another issues that uh, eventually. Uh, could be uh, investigated and clarified. But I'm just limiting it to this capacity that I have noticed is vastly present in modern culture. And so any person with that capacity will, uh, would do best by assuming that this is not just a dream that uh, uh, finds uh, memory, uh, particle memories in the brain being activated in such a way that they translate into uh, this kind of vision, uh, this kind of dream. So if we, we go by this, then it makes sense that such a, uh, an ancestor that has appeared in the dream should be the messenger uh, to everyone else they know uh, in terms of uh, what the recipient of such a dream is feeling in these days. So this is the most I can come up with. I cannot assume that uh, there is uh, a sacred river somewhere in this vast country that people can go to and uh, that there is someone who is an expert enough who is going to take him uh, on a boat uh, or a kayak across and eventually they will get to a world where they can see their dead being present. Uh, but I can certainly uh, uh, acknowledge the fact that people dream about their ancestors in this culture, which means that the disconnection that uh, sometimes we deliberately try to make happen uh, rarely succeeds uh, simply because uh, they know for a fact that they cannot disconnect from us and therefore they will find a way through the subtle channels of our subspace imagination to reach our consciousness. Now, Maladoma, you said that your mother died and that it was mysterious, and mm -hmm. you had questions about that. And what did you discover, and what did you discover in, in relationship to the ancestral connection now between you and your mom? Oh, a lot, a lot. Uh, and I just kind of suspected you were going to want to know more about this. The... Uh, uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, when I went there, I was carrying my mother's purse. I was told that in order to go there and meet the person that uh, you want to meet, because you cannot meet the person 
in the way you meet people in this world. You can meet the person by way of utilizing an item that carries the energy of the person while they were still here. And so I brought her purse. I was instructed to leave it at a crossroad, which I did. I was also instructed to keep myself hidden uh, because any encounter um, will make me highly emotional. And the expression of emotion in that dimension uh, glues you to that dimension. In other words, you can't come back. Oh, my. So I had to to leave the, the purse at the crossroad. It was just a, a, a basket woven with millet stems, you know, and uh, hide myself inside a, uh, inside a tree. Uh, and uh, then I could see her carrying her usual clay jar full of water and following other people. And when she saw the purse, strangely enough, she recognized it. Uh, she recognized it in a very in a very graphic fashion because she just dropped everything she had and uh, grabbed it and uh, started crying and uh, in the uh, in the process was saying all kind of things. What I learned from what she said was that she was poisoned. Wow! And. Uh, that's what I, uh, I brought back with me, and uh, realizing that uh, uh, my action had indeed brought her much closer to me than she was she, she ever was when she she was in this world. I can feel her. I can sense her presence in times of crisis. She keeps pointing directions to me. Uh, she's much more active in my life than my father. They both died the same year. Uh, my father in, Jan in February and my, uh, my mother in uh, October. And what, I've, what I'm noticing is that the greater the my mother's presence in my life, uh, the more I can feel as if, uh, and this is very frequent, feeling as if she's not gone. She's still here. Of course, it took me a few years to recover from the graphic nature of what I witnessed. But after I over, uh, overcame that, I found myself in a new, more potent, and healing relationship with her. So this is what leads me to believe that uh, any time we are able to consciously wake up in this world with the vivid impression of having crossed paths with someone, uh, uh, some ancestors, more likely than not, this is an invitation to contemplate uh, more dynamic, more intimate relationship with that ancestors in the interest of healing, in the interest of change and transformation. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. 
we welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. Now, you know, Maladoma, we talked about the person who might be mad at one of their deceased relatives. But I'm curious if somebody's listening and they're thinking, gosh, you know, I have so much gratitude towards one of my deceased relatives, and I don't know if I'm honoring them to the level that I'd like to in my life. You know, the fact is they died, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, there is no parallel world, and I haven't been honoring them. I've just been going about my life. What would what yeah. could that person do to express the deep sense of gratitude and reverence they might have that they haven't expressed? First is a desire to express. Uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, if you don't have anything to say, well, then um, you don't say anything. Uh, although it is... Uh, uh, not having anything to say is a mirror of uh, of the level of imagination you're at. Uh, the issue is that uh, we have to have things to say to each other. If anything, hello, uh, uh, I thank you for this day, or I want you to accompany me uh, throughout this day because I'm going here, I'm going there, or I'm uh, or I, I'm just sitting and enjoying uh, having a good time. Just be with me. Uh, we don't necessarily have to go to the ancestors when we have issues. In fact, people like that who uh, do not have any issue with their ancestors and even are feeling greater and greater gratitude towards those ancestors should therefore translate that gratitude to include sharing time and space together. How does that look like? First, through speech. The capacity to constantly speak to these ancestors at any given moment uh, uh, while we change from one activity to another it makes sense to simply uh, find a formula that uh, can be articulated in such a way that it sends a clear message to the other world that it is invited. The ancestors need to, to be in our lives, not so much necessarily to tell us what to do, but to be with us. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being, uh, sharing, and the easiest sharing is the one that takes the form of the the little uh, the little anecdote about our lives. Sharing those impressions that we get, sharing this precious moment that we are blessed with, and not always the bad moment. And so. Uh, People like this who want, in the end, to be able to express greater gratitude should know uh, that perhaps 
the very quality of their lives is interpreted by these ancestors as an expression of their gratitude. That sometimes the gratitude is not uh, discursive. It doesn't have to come formulated in terms of word, but more in terms of demeanor, how we live our life, the amount of honesty, integrity, sincerity, the amount of lovingness we can bring to this world. All of that are uh, welcome by the ancestors we are grateful for and are seen as the expression of our gratefulness, which means that it is directly the result of the quality of the the interaction we've had with the ancestor when they were, they, they were in flesh and blood that is continuing in this fashion. And so we may always ask the question, how has my day-to-day been lived as an expression of gratitude to the ancestor? As opposed to thinking of it in this three-dimensional context in which if gratitude is felt, gratitude must be expressed in word. I would say not necessarily. When gratitude is like a, a, a dress that we put on, a colorful outfit that we put on, and we walk with it on a daily basis, then gratitude doesn't have to be given a specific time for, it is, for its expression. Instead, it is expressed as long as we draw breath. And so the desire to express more gratitude may not be uh, because the current is not enough, but may be the result of an insufficient understanding of the quality of our life that could be an expression, a wordless expression of that gratitude. And if we look more carefully, we could see it. We could see that if we don't say it, we live it. And uh, either one is good. The best being the one that is wrapped around the self and walked with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Now, we started our conversation, Maladoma, about defining who are the ancestors anyway. And you talked about how in the Dagora tribe, it's, yes, your blood relatives, but also people of the village who are deceased. And here, when we try to understand that as Western people, people, I think, can track very easily who their deceased blood relatives are. But because we don't live in a village context, who are my ancestors besides my blood relatives? How do I relate to that idea? Well, the... Let's just say this, the tree that uh, you are attracted to might be your ancestors. Uh, you know, that, uh, that precious uh, family member that you call dog that recently passed might be an ancestor that has moved in with you uh, and with whom you have been able to, uh, 
to experience quality of love and quality of relationship that perhaps you wouldn't be able to to express with any other being. So there is such a a relaxed web of uh, ancestry accessible, available to uh, uh, Westerner uh, simply because the the stretch of modernity is of such nature that it it is and should be inclusive. Ancestors have decided to embody not just uh, a kind of uh, subspace physicality that can project itself into their descendant consciousness in the same form as before, but they can also take on forms in nature that are alive and that are speaking to us in ways not in English, but uh, that we can pick up loud and clear in our bone, in our heart, so that the emotional self, the physical self, and the mental self all together join in this kind of fusion for the purpose of uh, a much more conscious self. I see this as a great opportunity uh, that ancestors have figured out all these different ways to interact with uh, Westerners. And this is why you know, uh, even the sacred mountain out there can be seen to be the face of the ancestors, looking, uh, looking at you at any time, and that those moments that you spent staring at it, whatever energy is going there, this represents a mom, a sacred moment of interaction with ancestry. The, uh, the, the worst part, or should I say the, uh, the narrowest imagery will be to associate ancestor with biology, which means that, uh, you know, it's your grandmother, your great-grandmother, great-grandfather, great-grandmother, uh, and so on and so forth. This is, uh, this is, uh, this is not really the, a picture that suits uh, Western, the Western psyche as such. It should be more expansive before it retracts into something more compact. Whereas, uh, you see, in a context where a village is there, a family is there, there has been the kind of continuity associated with the village and uh, uh, drawing from various practices of relationship, that it makes sense that uh, ancestry be perceived in this fashion. But in the modern situation, where the, the the whole concept is a lot more relaxed, a lot more stretched out, it is important to see ancestors in various forms of life and various shapes. Uh, that would give one the opportunity, at least, uh, not to uh, get stuck in the excuses that uh, I can only remember my great my grandfather but I don't even know anybody beyond that 
but to realize that, first of all, those who are your ancestors that you claim not to know, they know you. And therefore, what's wrong with first starting by telling them, I don't know you. Can you make yourself be known? And maybe, for instance, if you are at the waterfront while you're saying that, at the ocean while you're saying that, you could see a dolphin pop out or some kind of whale that's hit the water, creating a huge wave. What if this is the ancestors responding to you? It could be the same thing in nature. As you begin contemplating the concept of ancestor, you see a deer or a bear or any kind of animal, a bird that flies by in, in a way that is rather unusual. All of these should be taken not just as spirit manifestation of, of spirit, at least in Dagara context. Uh, these are the different ways in which ancestors will speak to us. Uh, and I'm saying that thinking about one thing. When an ancestor wants to get your attention to something, uh, they talk about various uh, imagery going on. For instance, myself uh, being connected with water. Was, that was my grandfather's way of letting me know that... Uh, he dwells in the water, and that I should be willing to come to the water to do the kind of ritual that uh, he suggests I should do in the interest of a more fluid relationship. Similarly, uh, you know, a person who dreams of water might be someone who is being invited by his or her ancestors to go to the water. A person who finds himself or herself in nature, drawn to nature, might be invited by his or her ancestors to join with nature in the interest of discovering another face of these ancestors as expressed by beings of nature, beings of water, beings of the mountains, and so on and so forth. And so that this diversity is a testimony to the fact that the ancestors of modernity are quite busy. They, they inhabit so many different realms that translate into our consciousness as us being drawn toward those, uh, those, uh, no, the physical area that are a mirror of what the ancestors want to use to get our attention, you know. So this, there's some colorfulness to all of this. Yeah. Now I'm curious, Maladoma, just to get personal again for a moment. In your own work, whether it's teaching or I know you do a lot of divination sessions for individuals. Mm -hmm. How do you work with the ancestors? Do you do a certain kind of invocation, or how does it work for you? Well, first of all, I don't, uh, I don't do any work without first uh, doing my own personal, call it invocation, to the ancestors. I always tell the spirit of uh, my father, to uh, to join with the one of my grandfather so that 
he can take that spirit to my mothers and to everyone uh, willing to partake in this moment, that together they can pave the way for a kind of fluidity that is similar to a big river moving. These are the kind of things I do personally before I, uh, uh, I interact with the world, uh, with anybody, in a sacred way. In divination, what always pops out is the ancestors that seem to be uh, the central messaging device for everything else that is going on in the divination. They seem to be the, the one hidden voice that speaks to everything else that is going on. That's what I find very interesting. And so, is it because I began such an initiative by invoking them to come over and to make sure that truth, authenticity be conveyed in the most gentlest way possible, and that they make sure that the receiving parties has the channel necessary to understand, record, and ingest every, uh, everything that is coming out. I believe that's what it is, and that's what I have verified over and over again. And I feel strongly that without them, I'll be just me. Uh, confused, uh, walking and talking like a blind blind person, or should I say making up things right and left, even if that is a possibility. The thing is that in, in divination, it's not, it's not the diviner who is really uh, uh, doing the job. The diviner is loaning, uh, is putting himself on loan for the spirit uh, to do the job. It's just that uh, somehow everything must be translated into a digestible language by the other. I think that uh, what has constituted an area of uh, excitement and humility at the same time was to see that... Uh, these ancestors are not uh, so extroverted as to jump in, take over, and do things in uh, in a very overt fashion. The subtleties of the entrance into the psyche and the manner in which they provide imageries, uh, sequencing them in such a way that the way they're coming out make me feel like, no, I can't be saying this. Uh, it, 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 it does constitute a clear demonstration of their powerful ability to take over somebody. Now, I don't want to suggest that there's possession going on at that time. There's fusion, more like it. There is a kind of symbiosis that seems to be, in effect, reflecting a partnership that is most sacred and that's what i like about this interacting with the with the ancestor translate more often or not into a kind of confidence that uh, does not 
come with uh, uh, this kind of reckless self-analysis and uh, bad grading of the self, but is perceived or felt like uh, someone from behind or from the side is actually doing the job. And the best I can do is to be present to it. Uh, that's what makes it really exciting for me to, uh, and I find it impossible to to think of what I do without the ancestors being present, because uh, it will feel like an utter isolation, and uh, uh, of course, uh, will be quite impossible to do. Okay, Maladoma, I just have two final questions for you. Here's the first one. Okay. You're in such a unique position, having been so deeply immersed in two cultures, both your Dagara tribe of Burkina Faso, and also, you know, here you are, three master's degrees, two PhDs, fully immersed in the contemporary Western culture. And I'm curious if you were just to summarize what you think the most important thing we Westerners could learn from the Dagara tribe, and what you think perhaps the most important thing the Dagara tribe might benefit from Western culture, what you think that might be? What's the most important thing we could learn from each other? In fact, uh, the most important thing that uh, uh, Westerners can learn from Dagger culture is the the availability of other worlds. In other words, the the presence of... uh, a larger than uh, reality available to everyone that could better be accessed within the context of a well-woven community. Uh, well-woven, in this case, would be more like uh, the uh, the return to uh, ritual literacy, the kind that uh, that makes sacred different choreographies of uh, human and otherworldly interactions, uh, resulting therefore in uh, a more fuller life, a more fuller consciousness. Simply put. It is really the the preponderant presence of spirit everywhere and in everything. That is something that uh, is consistent with uh, any uh, indiv- indigenous culture. Uh, and if they have something to offer, it will be basically... You know, this kind of thing, the respect for nature, the respect for community, the respect for all that is alive, as the native will say, uh, all my relations. Now, what Dagara can learn from from the West is that uh, there are ways of uh, making... uh, community life uh, 
be receptive in a non-destructive fashion of various ways of making life easier. In other words, in other words, you know, we we cannot express our indigenous self by way of maintaining the same manner of farming year after year. That there is perhaps uh, in, a, in, a, in a context in which the traditional ways of farming are failing to yield enough nourishment for family the way they used to. It's a good thing for Dagger people to open themselves to new ways of approaching the land, of approaching uh, uh, the, uh, the environment so that it can yield more nourishment, something similar to that which was once available. Of course, this is, uh, this is something that uh, is directly the result uh, of, uh, you know, various changes, most of which have been uh, 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 triggered by modernity. But I have to, uh, to insist that uh, we do not, uh, we have not come together as a way to uh, 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 to progress in a divided fashion. In other words, the current situation is not one that calls for turning one's back at the inevitable and continuing to live life as if nothing has happened, but more to take the new into the old, in an embrace that translates into greater light that indigenous people can learn and learn quickly. They need to do that before they go extinct. My situation is a mirror of that. Here I am. After all this education that pretty much was preparing me for something totally different from what I'm doing these days, uh, I find myself incorporating both the indigenous and the modern. And I would like to, uh, to serve as a testimony that this is not impossible. That we don't live in a better world by keeping to ourselves, by keeping things separate. Uh, integration and a heart open enough to accept both worlds, or however many they are, could translate into a spirit that is that much more expanded, or should I say ascended, to encompass the, the planet as it is in a state of metamorphosis. I believe that uh, this is something that uh, indigenous Dagara want to learn from a cultural perspective, a technological perspective, and what else, so that at least uh, in the end, this whole idea of 
opening the self, making a space in the self for the other, can translate into something uh, of a real global community. Mm-hmm. Okay, Maladoma, my final question for you today, although there's so many things we could talk about. You know, I focused on the ancestors because it's something that I really wanted to hear you talk about, but there's so many topics we could talk about, so I hope I get another chance to talk to you at some point. But my final question just for today is that our show is called Insights at the Edge, and I'm always curious to know what somebody's personal edge is And you could say the part of their life that they're most inspired to grow in or most interested, their sort of current edge of transformation, what that is for you. That's very interesting. And you know what? My personal edge is the constant, uh, the constant and clarity about home. Where is home? And of course, I can say that, you know, home is where I am. Home is here in the West. Home is there in my village in Dano. But when all is said and done, I found out that uh, when I'm here, I'm thinking about there. When I'm there, I'm thinking about here. And therefore, this has been a question and an issue that has put me on my toes for the past 35 years. And I feel that maybe this is the way to keep myself alert and aware that um, I am dealing with this issue of home simply because of the very nature of what I've signed up to do. And as long as this is an issue, as long as this is the, the, the poignant question of my everyday life, something tells me I'm going in the right direction. Hmm. And so home should not be something that I feel is the final destination, but home should be a vehicle that is taking me from one episode to another of my work, keeping me on red alert. That's what my edge is. Mm. It does sound like that's such a big part of your destiny, and quite honestly, Maladoma, it sounds a little hard, that aspect. In fact, yes, it, it, it's hard, but there were times when it was much harder. But the more I am willing to look at it in this fashion, the more I realize that indeed uh, uh, I'm being asked to look at home from a more transcendent perspective yeah. than the one that is just confined to a geography and a culture and so on and so forth. And as long as I stay on that edge, I realize that this is the feeling associated with living in two worlds. Maladoma, mm-hmm. 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 <gasps> it's always great to talk to you. Thank you. You shoot straight. I like it. <laughs> Thank you, Tammy. 
you shoot straight too. That's right. That's why I'm I'm your wild card. That's right. Maladoma Somme, <laughs> a true heart wild man, the author of several books, including Of Water and Spirit, The Healing Wisdom of Africa, Ritual, Power, Healing, and Community, and A Friend to Sounds True. Maladoma, great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Soundstrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.